Father, I thank you for bringing us here today and regardless of the, the night we had and how much sleep we got, we are here this morning uh, to sing to you, to worship you, to talk to you in prayer. We're here to fellowship and uh, spend some time with one another and we're certainly here to hear from you. And so I, I pray for us right now. Father, uh, I'm tired, uh, but in some ways it makes no difference because you're the one who does the work and you're the one who speaks to our hearts. And so we ask you for that today. I pray that you will do what I can't do this morning and what I'm never able to do, and that is to bring your word to life and, and, and to have it take root in our hearts and to help us understand um, why it's important and why it, why it matters, why your word makes a difference. And I pray this morning as we open it up that uh, you will be our teacher now. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 So we uh, started a new series last weekend. And if you have your Bibles, you might turn in the Gospel of John. Put a little tag there, a little paper clip uh, on your device, wherever you're reading your Bible, because we're going to be there for a while, about 16 months, I believe. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Gospel of John. So a lot of stuff that we're going to talk about right at the beginning, and if it feels like, whoa, we're going really fast, don't worry, because we'll be coming back to it at least a few times. So just by way of review, uh, I want to remind you, last week we kind of just Try to get a little understanding about where we are in the Bible. Uh, in the Bible, we have the Old Testament, the New Testament, and this really nerdy periodic chart of uh, the Bible. Got 39 books in the Old Testament and 27 books over here in the New Testament. We are in the New Testament, which is broken down into several sections. We have uh, the Gospels and Acts kind of a part of that. We have letters that Paul wrote to churches and individuals. We have general letters written like people like John and, and Peter and Jude, and then uh, we've got the book of Revelation, apocalyptic literature. We're in the Gospels, and we said last week that there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what we call synoptic Gospels, synopsis, meaning to see the same way, and so a lot of the stories in here are the same, the sequences are the same, um, they draw from a lot of the same sources, and even sometimes the wording is the same, and John, though, is very unique. A lot of unique material in John that doesn't appear in uh, these Gospels. And you can just look at here and see we got John written by John the disciple, later John the apostle. John who never actually names himself as John, the author of John. In fact, the only John he talks about in there is John the baptizer. Um, he only refers to himself in this book as the disciple that Jesus loved. We'll talk about that in the weeks to come. 21 chapters, 879 verses, the last written of the Gospels. And I know many of you have let me know that you read through the Gospel of John this week. That's great. Do it again. Uh, and we'll just keep doing that again and again. So last week we began by looking at the prologue. The first 18 verses of John are a prologue. Think of it like uh, in a movie, and when the movie begins, there's a voiceover, and the voiceover just kind of says, you know, introduces you, this is so-and-so. He's the character of the movie, and it gives you some idea of kind of some of the forces that are going to be at play in the movie uh, that you see and don't see. So a prologue was uh, common in Greek literature of the day and, and plays, and it was just like that, kind of introduce you to what's going on. And in the prologue, it's 18 verses, we looked at the first five or verses last week, and in those first five verses, John begins to talk about some of the big themes we'll be seeing, we'll, we'll trace through the book. It talks about Jesus as the Word, right? So that's a very unique kind of concept that he is the, the communication, the ultimate 
communication of God to us. He's the word uh, of God to us. And he talks about the fact that this word, this Jesus is eternal. And then he, he says he's both with God and, and he is God. And that's when we start scratching our heads and, and that he's the creator and that he is the life and the light of the world. Today we're going to continue on uh, through verse 13. In fact, I'm going to just read for you. Um, I'm going to go back to the beginning, verse 1, and read through uh, where we're going to go through today. John 1, 1. Now, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And that's going to be our big concept for today. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, verse 6. Now there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Now, he was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. So he gives us a couple of verses about John the baptizer. We're not going to look at those today. We're going to come back in a few weeks and kind of consider John in a, in a larger passage. But we're going to mostly concentrate today on the next couple of verses. Verse 9, Now the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And he was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born of God, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God is in the business of saving people. I don't know if, uh, if there are people in your life that you're praying for, that you're pleading for, people who don't know Christ, but you pray for them. And you know, I had a lot of conversations with people afterwards who were like, I, I'm not very consistent or I don't know that I'm very faithful in doing that. But I do that sometimes when I think about people, when I remember them. But I ask this question for the people that you're praying for. Do you think that God's going to save them? Do you think that God is still saving people, hard people, sinful people, difficult people, people who say they don't believe in God, people who push back whenever you try to talk about the gospel. Do you believe that God is still saving people like that today? Good, yeah. The, <laughs> the last service is like, of course we do. So, <laughs> so I've, I've told you this before. I was, uh, I, I was raised in a non-Christian home and I became a Christian at the age of 15. And when I became a Christian, um, everything about Christianity was absolutely new to me. And I, I didn't really know much about sharing the gospel and how to do that. Um, and my, my sister and my parents were not Christians. And I wasn't sure what to do for them. Uh, but I began to pray for them. And so I, I began to pray and I prayed for a few years and 10 years and 20 years and 30 years and 40 years. And I don't know if there's, if you've ever prayed for somebody for 43 years. 43 years of praying for someone I, and they still are not a Christian and they still don't seem any closer. Like how do you feel? After you've been praying for somebody for 43 years, how do you feel, like when you pray each day, are you full of fervency and are you full of expectancy? Are you just like, I don't know, today could be the day. Today could be the day I find out that they became a Christian. I, I don't know that that's always our, our attitude, but, but God. So um, a couple years back, and I've shared this with you, but um, I've been praying for my sister for 43 years, uh, not a Christian, 
And we have a relationship. We talk and we text and all that good stuff. And, um, and I, when she got married, I went down and did the, the wedding. But it was just like a regular old afternoon. And one afternoon, she sends me a text. And in the text, she basically says, hey, um, Bobby, because that's what she calls me. She's like, hey, um, I'm wondering, do you know uh, the two Greek words morphe and schema? Uh, because I, I, I don't understand them. So, of course, I actually, we were in the book of Philippians at the time, and I had just been studying morphe and schema. And so, but, of course, I see this text, and I'm like, what? What is, what is happening? <laughs> Why is my sister, who's not a Christian, asking me about Greek words, morphine, schema? Yeah, I know. So I texted her back. I'm like, yes, I know what they are. Do you know what they are? And she texts back, no, that's why I'm asking you. Like, I don't, <clears throat> I don't understand. So I text her back and I'm like, why are you asking me about these two Greek words? And she's like, well, we were in church today and the pastor was talking about them. And I'm like, what? So my, my brain's like exploding. I'm sitting on the deck at home and I'm like, I'm, what is going on here, right? I, so I text her back, what do you mean you were at church? And she texts back, you know, church, right? You know about church and we were at, we were at church today. So of course I, I have to text way back up, why were you at church? So she begins to say, well, you know, so we have some relatives and they go to church and we got to know them better and they took us to church. And I'm like, so how do you like church? And she's like, well, I like going to church. That's what Christians do. I'm a Christian. I'm like, wait, what a minute. So, so finally I, I call her. I'm like, what's, what's happening? She tells me the story. And I, so here's why I feel a little ripped off because I prayed for her for 43 years and she became a Christian. I didn't even find out for like weeks that she was, that she was a believer, but I, I have to I was kind of stunned. I was, because I was thinking I've been praying for her for 43 years and I have to admit that recently I probably wasn't praying with a lot of fervency like any day. It wasn't like when she told me, I was like, well, duh. I, like I knew this was gonna happen, right? And I, I say that because as we, we come to the passage today, John wants to remind us that we have a God that seeks and that saves the lost and he's still saving people and he's still bringing children into his family. So we're going to carry on that thought today as we talk about the light. We're going to begin by talking about the light revealed. We're coming to verse 9 of chapter 1 and in verse 9 we read this. Now the true light, so he's just carrying on this discussion about Jesus as the light. Now the true light, because he knows there's a lot of light in the world, both physically and spiritually, there's a lot of, uh, of people who claim to be light, a lot of religions that claim to be the light of God. But he says the true light, uh, to distinguish it from all other spiritual light uh, or non-light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So this true light, the, the word true there means, you know, what is real or what, what's reality or genuine. Sometimes it's used to describe that which is ultimate, which is undoubtedly what John has in mind in the context here, that Jesus is the ultimate, the true, the only true light that you will find, spiritually speaking, in this world. And John's point is simply this, that he's light and the source of light or the source of, of truth. And he's the ultimate, we would say, going back, the ultimate self-disclosure of God. I know we use that word a lot, but the point is this. We wouldn't know what God is really like in our own natural state, and so God tells us. And the ultimate way that he's done this is through Jesus Christ. Now that's important because we live in a world full of untruth, uh, full of darkness, full of lies, full of scams, uh, full, of, full of false information. I, I mentioned a, a few weeks ago that... Uh, 
that somebody was sending email to hundreds and hundreds of people at Gateway uh, claiming to be me, and they were asking you, and I know many of you got this, if it would be possible for you to go out and get for me um, some American Express cards. No big deal, just $2,000 worth of American Express cards, and then you were asked to take a picture of the card number and then scratch off the back and send that to me, and um, not to worry about it, because I was going to use that to help some people who were sick and in the hospital, and, and to not worry, I would pay you back, right? And to my knowledge, nobody actually did that, but it actually didn't stop there. Then we found out last week, somebody has been calling people at Gateway, maybe you got one of these calls, um, saying that they were from Gateway and they were asking for donations. Um, hence the text I sent out the other day, we'll never call you for uh, donations, right? Don't, don't fall for that. What was the giveaway was that on everyone's phone, it said it was from New York, and last time we checked, we weren't in New York, and so most of you just liked that you didn't even listen to that message, and now we've actually had somebody who a couple times has um, sent an email to our uh, financial administrator claiming to be somebody on staff, claiming that we've changed our bank account number, and if it would be possible for you to send our paychecks to this new number as well. So it just doesn't stop. And many of you have mentioned that this has happened to you and happened to, you know, where you work. And that's just, that's our world. No one should be shocked, right? We're just like, that's the world that we live in. And before it was this, it was something else. But we have a world full of darkness, a world full of sin. And into all of this comes Jesus Christ, the, the light, the, the genuine, the ultimate revelation of God to us. He is true. And notice what it says. It says that not only is he light, but he gives light for Tidzo is the Greek word uh, to enlighten um, physically sometimes or inwardly spiritually. Jesus is the one who enlightens us. But he goes on and he says the true light which gives light to everyone. And to everyone has spurred quite a debate amongst people are, you know, who is the everyone? Because obviously everyone couldn't just mean everyone, could it? So um, there's lots of debates and theories about who is the everyone that he shines light on. So several theories, I think maybe I put these in your notes. The first one is he's talking about everyone who has ever lived. So he's talking about what we call general revelation, that Jesus, we know, was the agent of the Trinity who created um, the universe and, and all of us, and that creation itself is, we might say, a billboard that attests to the fact that there is a creator and that everyone who has ever lived has seen that billboard and has been able to see that there is a creator, but not everybody has accepted that creator. And it doesn't tell us a lot of details. It doesn't tell us about Jesus or going to the cross or dying for us, but it it does tell us that there is a creator, that there is a God. And so some people believe, since Jesus was the one who created it, that the everyone here is simply saying everyone who's ever lived has seen the evidence that, that God is real and that, that Jesus is real. And by the way, I want to mention every one of these uh, possibilities are biblical. We'll find them in scripture in places. In Romans 1, for instance, it tells us since what may be known about God is plain to them, just speaking about everyone who's ever lived, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. So that that men, that people, that everyone are without excuse. So one possibility here is he's just talking about everyone who has ever lived. Another one is that he's simply talking kind of ethnically here, that he's saying the incarnation is for everyone, not just for the Jews, which would have been the assumption in those days that um, the Messiah would have been for the Jews. And so this is John's way of saying no. Um, Jesus, the light, 
is light for everyone, regardless of whether you're Jewish or Gentile or whatever, for all races without distinction. Now certainly that's true. There's another theory, which is that Jesus is, it's just saying that, that he is the only true light for everyone, that there are no other options. He's the only true light. He's the only possible light that we could have. And that's certainly true. And one more, just to round it out, is that what he's saying here is that that Jesus is God's ultimate self-disclosure for everyone who has ever seen him or heard about him or read the gospel, which again is also absolutely true. What does John have in mind here? He at least has the first one in mind, given what he's just talked about, that everyone who's ever lived has seen evidence of, of his existence and creation, but he probably has all of these in mind in many ways. And what he says is that this light is coming into the world, so he's kind of bridging a gap. He was talking about the fact that there was a light that was going to come into the world that was coming, but now it's talking about coming. So remember, John doesn't talk about um, the birth of Jesus, um, angels appearing to anyone and announcing the birth of shepherds in the field. He just starts his book with Jesus grown and, and already starting his ministry. So he's just saying that God has now come, that the light has now come into our world. He's come into uh, the creation that he created as one of us uh, to experience life as we do and you know the hard stuff the good stuff the the temptations the hunger the thirst and the tiredness and and the hard work he knows what relationships are like and betrayal is like and loneliness and 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 righteous anger he knows what all of these things are like as, as one of us Jesus has come as the ultimate revelation of God to us he is light and so he's saying that, that Christ the light has now been revealed to us. And then he goes on and talks about the light that has been rejected in verse 10. He says this, Now, he was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. So it's kind of an astounding statement when you, you just read it. It's saying that he came into the world that he created, that he designed, that he thought of. He came into a world to live amongst people that he had created, and at that moment, he was keeping them alive because all things are held together by him. He made their mouths. He made their brains. He gave them the ability to think. He gave them the ability to speak. He spoke words that were life-giving and astounding to the people of that day. 2,000 years later, we still read them. We still marvel at them. We still study them. We still quote them and memorize them and apply them to our lives. But it says that they did not recognize him he was their creator and their maker living amongst them and they, they looked at him. They didn't see him for who he was. And yet he radiated every, every character at risk of, of God. But I would argue this, but he did not pretty much radiate the things that we typically look for when we're looking for someone to follow. Right? What are we looking for when we're looking for someone to follow? Well, a lot of times we're looking for someone who is uh, stately, who's good looking at, right? Israel did that with Saul. That's typical. I mean, none of us would like to think that, right, how someone looks somehow has a sway with us, <laughs> but we would be wrong. Um, typically, the world's looking for someone who's been successful in business, maybe wealthy, Right? Those are the kind of leaders we want. That wasn't Jesus. Uh, he wasn't wealthy. He didn't hang out with the important people, with the popular people of his day. He didn't have a big house. In fact, he didn't have a house. He didn't have a lot of possessions. In fact, he really didn't have possessions. And so he came into the world as one of us, but it wasn't really what we were looking for. It's what we needed, but it wasn't what we were looking for. And it says that they did not know 
him. That, that word know means to be aware or to perceive something or to understand something. And it's more than just mere intellectual knowledge or assent. It's to really understand what something is and to respond to that. And Jesus was just so foreign to what they valued in leaders. They, they wanted a leader who would advance their own agenda, not really so much uh, about what was right and wrong. I mean, I don't know that we've changed that much in all these years. I still feel like a lot of times what we're looking for as leaders, even in this country, isn't so much who, who stands for what is right, right? But, but you know, who looks right and, and who will give us the agenda we want? Uh, who, who will lower taxes if that's what we want? Usually it is political and it certainly was back then what they were looking for. Or maybe somebody who will uh, help us advance financially or maybe, uh, you know, what we want nationally. That was certainly true also in Israel. Um, for the religious leaders of that day, they were looking for somebody who would uh, help advance their legalism and, and control over people. But right, that's not who Jesus was. That wasn't what Jesus did. Jesus was a true light, and he was shining right in front of them, but they, they refused to recognize him, to acknowledge his identity and, and his teaching and his miracles and his, his right to rule. They just said no. It wasn't what they wanted. Again, you know, you would ask, why would people refuse to acknowledge their creator who in every way is perfect and reflects what is right right in front of them? Why would they do that? And in chapter three, John tells us just exactly why. He says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. That's Christ. That's what we're talking about. And people loved the what? The darkness. They loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Right? People loved the darkness. They, they loved their sin. They didn't want to let go of their sin back then. And so they were just, no. And again, that, that's something that hasn't really changed. I talk to people all the time, and you now I have really interesting conversations with people. I, you know, maybe I'm at a coffee shop or something and you know, get in a conversation with someone, and they'll be like, what do you do? That's always really a fun turn in the conversation. Oh, I'm a pastor. And then it's always like, what kind of pastor are you? <laughs> Which is a fair question. I'm the kind of pastor who believes in Jesus Christ, and I, I believe in the word of God, and then you, know, you always get like, oh, oh yeah, you're one of those. And then people always wanna tell me, oh, well, I like Jesus. And then if I'm like, oh, well, tell me about Jesus. Well, I like the Jesus who just loves everyone. Um, I like the Jesus who just accepts everyone exactly as they are. And you know, I'm taking notes. This is good to know. You know, I got a sermon coming up on that. Uh, I like the Jesus who doesn't ask me to change. He just, you know, he just wants me to be me, whoever I decide that that would be. That's the Jesus I like. And then they'll always go on and tell me the Jesus they don't like. Oh, by the way, there's the other Jesus, that other guy, the one I don't like. He's the one who thinks, you know, he's so exclusive, right? He's a Jesus who thinks that he's the only way to God. It's so narrow. It's so exclusive. I'm not into that Jesus. I'm not into him. Um, I don't like the Jesus who says that you know, his truth is the only truth, and if my truth, because I have my own truth, and if my truth and his truth aren't, aren't the same truth, then he insists that his truth is right, and I'm not into that kind of Jesus. I'm not into the Jesus who tells me to repent, because I don't have anything to repent of or to go and sin no more or to turn away from the sins I love. And so John just says, right, nothing has changed in all these years. We'll still run into people who they, they just reject him. Why? Because they love their sin. They love their darkness. To believe in a Jesus of your own making is not to believe in Jesus at all. Right? It's to reject the actual Christ. That's what they're doing here. And as tragic as the world's rejection in general 
is, and that, that's kind of what he's pointing to, it came into the world that he created and the world in general has rejected him. John points in verse 11 to an even greater tragedy, if you will. In verse 11 he says this, and he came to his own. So that was kind of another group of people and his own people did not receive him. So now his own in the Greek, their own uh, can mean um, property or uh, possession. It, it can refer to something that belongs to someone. Um, it can also refer to a particular location, maybe here the land of Israel, the land of the temple. And so in verse 10, we, we kind of see this relationship between the creator and, and all people. And then in verse 11, we kind of have described here a relationship between him and, and his people. His own people, it says here. Who are his own people? Well, remember, Jesus was born um, Jewish. He was a Jew, he, a member of the Jewish race. They were his people in that sense. And his own people should have been the first one to recognize him. After all, they were the ones who said they were waiting for him. These, these people, they were the ones that he had called out from all the nations to have a special covenantal relationship with him. He, he loved these people. He brought these, these people out from Egypt. as something he didn't do for any other nation. He redeemed them. He led them through the wilderness. He, he gave them the law. He gave them his word. He gave them a, a promised land. He revealed himself to them through prophets and, and leaders. He worked miracles on their behalf. He rescued them countless times. He promised that he was coming to them. But when he came, they didn't recognize him. Because they weren't looking for that kind of a leader, that kind of a Messiah. They couldn't recognize the real light. And so they rejected and they despised. And we'll see in, in, in John just all of this, this tension and this rejection that happens. And ultimately they, they kill him. And I think it's a good warning for us that we need to be careful not to create a Jesus of our own making but that our understanding of Christ is informed by him, by his revelation to us in the word. We need to be careful that we don't decide what he should be like and that whenever my version of Jesus that I like conflicts with, ever, with whatever the Bible says that, you know, and I hear this sometimes, people say to me, well, I mean, things are different today. I mean, you know, I like that. Sometimes people say, I don't really like the old grumpy Old Testament God who like had issues and was angry all the time and I just like the New Testament Jesus who was just loving and kind and you know was a friend of kittens and you know just like it, that's the one I believe in just the love Jesus he the one who didn't challenge sin and pride and greed and hypocrisy and false doctrine right it's like and the danger I think is that just like the religious leaders of Jesus day that it's possible that we might come face to face with him in the word and not even recognize him. And it happens all the time if we're not careful. One writer put it this way, Christ is to the souls of men what the sun is to the world. He is the center and the source of all spiritual light, warmth, life, health, growth, beauty. And like the sun, he shines for the common benefit of all mankind, for the high and the low, for the rich and the poor, for the Jew and the Greek. Like the sun, he is free to everyone. All may look at him and, and drink health out of his light. And if millions of mankind were, were mad enough to dwell in caves underground or to bandage their eyes, their darkness would be their own fault and not the fault of the sun. So likewise, if millions or billions of men and women love spiritual darkness rather than light, the blame must be laid on their own blind hearts and not on Christ. 
And so as we're making our way through this, this prologue, we begin to see this, this tension, that the light has come into the world, that God is making himself known to us, but that many people have said no, that they've rejected that. And this passage, this prologue in itself would be really grim, except that it goes on in, in verse 12. And it talks about the light that is not just reject, uh, rejected, but the light that is also received in verse 12. But to all who did receive him, so some received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God. So notice just the, the little turning here with the word but. We kind of begin to turn. Things look bleak, things look harsh, things look dark. But the creator, as one writer put it, but in spite of the rejection of humanity, the creator is not done creating. The creator is not done bringing children into his family. The world's rejection of the light cannot stop the light from seeking and saving that which is lost. And this is the good news of the gospel, that mankind cannot stop God from what he is determined to do in this world, to seek and to save. So he talks here about how he does this. He says, to all those who did receive him. So that word receive, lambano in the Greek, it just means to, to take hold of something or to attain something. Sometimes we, uh, we translate it as the word accept. But it's more than just mere intellectual assent here of Christ and his claims. And he explains further what he means with a, with a parallel term. Notice the word believe. But to all who did receive him, who believe. So these words kind of go together and they inform one another. They're kind of parallel ways to describe the same spiritual change. Uh, so it says believe, and, and believe is a central term in John. It's used 98 times in the Greek form, more than any other book in the Bible, and he says to believe in his name. And in the ancient world, to believe in the name of someone was just to believe in that person, in their character, or in that person themselves. And so he says, to all who did receive him and believe him in his name, that is in Christ, he gave the right to become children of God. So he gives a, a, a right here, if you will. Today we might call it a benefit. You know, you, you, you get a job and you get some benefits. And, and the benefit here though, and he doesn't want us to miss this, that God is the source of the right. So it's not like, well, I have this right to do what I want and I, I, I obtained the right myself. He says, no, this is something that's given to us. It is a gift from God. And what is that benefit? It's that we can become children of God. Now, sometimes people say, aren't we all children of God? And, well, we've all been created by God, and so in that sense, God is the creator of all of us. But because of sin, because of our rejection, Scripture says that we went from children to enemies, that actually we are enemies of God. But when we believe, and when we receive, it says that something happens. Our, our status changes in so many ways that we'll talk about in this book. But one of the things he says here is that when we believe and receive, we are adopted into God's family. We become a new person. Uh, he'll talk about how we receive the Holy Spirit, how our sins are forgiven. In Galatians, it says this, and because you are sons, that is, as Christians, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying Abba, or some translations say Daddy, to Daddy, Father. 
So, so daddy, that's a, obviously that's a term of endearment uh, between us and God. When my children were really young and I would come home at the end of the day and come in the front door, they would often, you know, run up to me and yell daddy. That was the term they had. Any of you fathers, if that's ever happened, you know how awesome that is, how you love it when your kids call you daddy. Uh, when they got a little bit older but would get hurt, suddenly I was, I was daddy again. Um, when my daughter became a little bit older when she wanted something, suddenly I was daddy, like, like that's just, right? But, but as fathers, we love that. We love that, uh, that term of endearment that our kids have for us. And that's what he says here in Galatians. Now in verse 13, he goes on, and John explains this. He says, children of God, now let's understand this, children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So he says, but of God. It, in other words, salvation is all of God. So we're gonna finish out our time talking about this and then we're gonna come back to this in so many ways in, in chapter three and chapter four as we talk about this idea that salvation is all of God. But to help us begin to understand what he's talking about here, notice three negative statements that he hits us with. So you become children of God when you believe or receive. But he wants us to understand what this means. So first of all, uh, he wants us to understand that spiritual birth is from God and not from blood. So what does he mean by blood? Uh, well, we might automatically think of just blood as being the, the thing of life, but I think here he's probably talking about the idea of, of, of race, that he's not born with a particular blood. He's not, uh, salvation doesn't come from belonging to a particular race, and what he would have in mind here are Jews. So what he's saying is, salvation doesn't come from, you know, your parents' lineage and the kind of blood that you have. It's not from being a Jew. Second thing is, he says it's not from the will. Some of your translations would say desire, which is maybe almost better. It, it has, that word has the idea of, um, it usually references a desire between a husband and a wife and the idea of procreation. And so it's just saying it's not the result of a physical act, which we'd be like, well, that, that makes a lot of sense. It's not from race. It's not from the decision of, a, of parents. And third, spiritual birth is not from the will of man. In other words, it's not just the result of somebody who one day says, hey, I'm going to believe. Uh, and, and that's how they get saved. It's not the result of that. It's, it's a little like physical birth. So, you know, you just think about, like, you can go back and think about you coming into this world, and you may recall that when, you know, before you were born, you didn't have a conference with God who said, you know, well, tell me about your life and what you'd like it to be. Let's, you know, let me know where you'd like to be born and who you'd like your parents to be and uh, maybe the, you know, economic status you'll be in and your IQ and, you know, would you like to have hair when you're older in life? And like, let's just talk about some of that stuff. Uh, like, you weren't consulted at all, were you? Uh, you weren't in on that. It was uh, this thing that was outside of, of your decision-making uh, realm. That's what he's saying is going on here. Notice in John 3, 6, it says, Now that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So being born into the, the family of God is different from being born into a human family. It is, an, it is an act of God. It is the work of God alone. And again, you know, after the last service, I had some great conversations with people because I said, you know, this can be a little confusing for us. Because a lot of times it, it feels to us, like we wouldn't say it this way. None of us would say, well, you know, the reason I'm a Christian is because I'm just a lot smarter than the non-Christians. 
I'm just intuitively more spiritual than all those other people. We know that's not true. But somehow it's hard for us to understand that it's all of God. In Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, Paul's kind of getting at this when he says from kind of another way, for it is by grace, that is a gift that you've been saved through faith. There's that word faith, believe, faith, receive. And this is not your own doing. This wasn't you. You didn't do this. It's not because you're smarter than other people. It is the gift of God. It's not the result of works so that no one may boast. Salvation is a sovereign work of God on the dead and blind sinner. A dead person cannot just will themselves back into life. And this whole concept of of being brought into the family of God and the fact that it is a work of God and the fact that, that we could be made children of God is so amazing to John that many, many, many years later, we believe now that John has outlived all the other disciples and uh, he writes this in 1 John 3, 1. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. All these years later, he still says, I still think about it. I still meditate on it. It still blows my mind. I still can't get over it that we should be called children of God. I don't know how comfortable you are about being a child of God if it's just become boring to you. If it's just become like, a, well, of course I am. John, all these years later, is like, I just can't get over it. I just can't stop thinking about it. I just can't stop thinking about how amazing it is. And so we are, that's what we are. We are children of God. The true light that comes into the world is a light which divides humanity between those who want to embrace the light and those who want to stay in the darkness. And as we go through the Gospel of John, what we'll see is Jesus is gonna live this life and he's gonna make these claims and he's gonna work these miracles and it's gonna force people to have to do something with it. What am I gonna do with this Jesus, with this light, with these miracles, with these claims? He can't just go around claiming to be God and I I don't do anything. People have to react, they have to do something and we're gonna see in John all these different reactions. Some people just, at first they were just superficially drawn to Jesus he's a cool guy he's a great teacher you know he works miracles but once it gets hard we're going to see people bail on him some people thought he was a prophet or a great teacher he's just a really good teacher and no more than that and after a while they'd bail on him some people actually thought he was insane or he had a demon or he was from the devil Some people uh, wanted to make him their king after he just fed them a pretty good lunch. Like that's all it took. And they, you know, like, hey, we want to make you king. Other people welcomed him into Jerusalem, but a few days later were yelling, crucify him. right, let his blood be on us and our, our children. Some people actually thought he was a dangerous heretic who was actually leading people away from God and away from what is true. But not everyone. Some people believed And those people became children of God. God is not done creating more children. God is not done growing his family. And God's still doing it every day. I've shared this with you before, but I even think, I just think it's so good for for all of us sometimes to think back on how we got saved. How did that happen? What were the circumstances? When's the last time you thought about your salvation? And the, and the genesis of all that. I was, I've shared this with you before, I was 15 years old. I grew up in Southern California. I had never been to a church worship service. I'd never read the Bible. I didn't know about the gospel. 
Um, Catholicism was big in our town. I knew that there was this guy named Jesus, this historical figure. I didn't know that he claimed to be God. I knew there was something about him rising from the dead, but I didn't know that he, I didn't know about the cross and how he died, and I didn't know that he died for our sins and how he rose and that he ascended and that he saves through faith. I didn't know any of that stuff. I didn't know he claimed to be God. But I remember when I was about 15 years old, really starting to, I really started to wrestle with, with the universe, with, with creation. Because as I looked around and you're kind of going through in school evolution and I remember looking around going, this is, this, like this can't just be an accident. I just, everywhere I looked, I saw evidence of design and a creator. And so even though I'd never heard the gospel, I, I could just look at the universe and as it says in, in Romans, I knew there was a creator. I knew there was a God, but I didn't know anything else about him. I didn't know that he came for me and, and was the light and had died for me. And I, I began to ask some questions, and, but I didn't know where to find answers. I didn't know. And so I started to look like I remember um, reading a book called Chariot of the Gods. I don't know if any of you read Chariot of the Gods. Don't, don't go read it. I'm not recommending it. A uh, secular book by a guy who basically explained humanity through uh, extraterrestrial astronauts who came to the earth and started life and, and uh, gave us technology and the pyramids and all this crazy stuff. And I remember reading that and like, I was thinking that's weird. And then uh, my grandfather was like, oh, you should read Jonathan Livingston Siegel. And again, don't read that book. It's the weirdest book. It answers no questions. And, I, and so all this is going on and I just, I'm, I'm asking questions and I'm starting to just talk to God, I think, but I don't know who he is. And, and then there's this, this guy who's a believer who's been trying to witness to my dad at work. My dad is not interested, and so one day this guy gives my dad a book and says, you should read this. And my dad comes home, and he's like, I'm not reading this dumb book, and he throws it. He's like, I know you read everything. He throws it on my bed, and I'm like, huh, this is an interesting book. It's called The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. I, again, I don't recommend the book. Like, don't read it, okay? It's just almost nothing in that book is trustworthy, except, except when he explains the gospel, he does it right. He does explain the gospel right. So I'm reading through this book full of all this inaccuracy from the book of Revelation and blah, blah, blah. And he gets to presenting the gospel and I read the gospel and I read about Christ and I'm on my knees and I'm asking Christ into my heart. And so here's the weird thing. Like back then I never thought about any of this. I just, I did it and I became a Christian and I began to walk with Christ at that point. But looking back, I always think to myself, but how did that happen? How did I go one day from not knowing God, not knowing the gospel, not knowing any about, any about any of that stuff, and one day reading the gospel and believing and giving my, my, my life to Christ, now all these years later I'm still walking with him. How do you explain that? I think it was God. I think it's what God did. I think it was God's work in me. I can't explain to you the mechanics of all of it, how it works, and believing and receiving and faith, and I'm still not, I don't have all that figured out. But I do know this. It's a work of God. And believing in Jesus is the whole goal of the Gospel of John. This is how he ends the book. But these are written so that you may believe. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. There, I just gave you the ending of the book. <laughs> That's the whole goal of the book. That you might believe. So let me ask you this. Do you believe? Have you placed your faith in Christ? Are you trusting in the name of Christ, in the person of Christ? Have you done that? And sometimes people ask, well, how do I do that, right? I'm like, well, it's simple. You walk the aisle, you go through a class, you get, no, that's not how you get saved, you believe. 
you trust in Christ. And, and if you're here today and you've never done that, I'm just giving away the end of the book. Like, here's the whole point. Believe in Jesus Christ. Believe that he is the son of God who came in the flesh for us, that he lived for us and died for us and rose for us, and he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through Christ. Believe in him. What do you have to do? Believe. You can do that right where you are. You can trust in Christ. Now, I'm gonna pray for us in a minute, but before I do, if you came in this morning as a believer, I have some homework for you, besides read John again. And that is, tell someone this week, tell someone this week your story about how you came to Christ. When's the last time you told someone? Because here's the deal, if you're gonna tell someone, then you gotta think about it. Right, so you're going to have to go back and think a little bit now. How did that happen and how did I come to that and how did God work that and maybe who was praying for me and all that stuff. It's, you know what? It's good for the soul. It's good for the soul to remember how it is that God saves us. Again, when I look back, I'm like, there's a lot of stuff I don't understand. I haven't put it all together, but that's okay. I know it's the work of God. I know it's real. Tell someone this week. Now, you might go home today at lunchtime and just share it around the table. You might go to Grow Group this week and share how you came to Christ. Maybe it's somebody you work with. Maybe it's someone who's not a believer. Somebody who just needs to hear that. How did you come to Christ? That's your homework this week. Read John and tell someone. Maybe your kids. Maybe someone in this room. Maybe someone at school. Tell them about how you came to Christ. Think about what you did. Think about what God did. I thought it'd be good for us to close off our time this morning by taking communion together. So uh, the guys are gonna go back and they're gonna bring the elements forward for you. And I just wanna invite you if, you have entr- if you've trusted in Christ, as the elements come around, just take a wafer out of there, grab that, hold on to that, take the cup, hold on to that. I'm gonna read something for you. I'm gonna pray for us and give you opportunities to take communion when you're ready. Years later, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth to explain this, this thing that we're doing here. What is, what is communion? What's the wafer about and what's the, the cup about? In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says this. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and when he given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We'll be talking about the upper room uh, I think about um, March of next year. <laughs> but, but the story is probably familiar to you. And guys, you can come forward now and to hand that out. Jesus is up in the upper room with his disciples and he's, he's about to go to the garden, be arrested, be mocked and put on trial, crucified on a cross. He says, in the future, you'll get together with other believers and you'll remember This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. And Paul goes on to say, let a person examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. So I always want to give you the opportunity to do that, to take a few moments to talk to the Lord before you take that bread and cup? Is there something you need to confess? Is there something you need to talk to the Lord about? Do you need to praise him? Do you need to worship him a bit before you take this, to examine your life, to confess, to be right? So I'm gonna encourage you to just hold on to those elements. 
I'm going to pray for us. Scott's going to come up and lead us in a song. And uh, I would just encourage you at your own pace when you're ready to take the elements, um, to join in the song when you're ready to do that as well. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you for uh, our time as we continue just to scratch the surface of this book and some of the, some of the great themes. But wow, the theme that we can become your children is astounding. It's, it's amazing. Something that even years later, John looked back on and thought, wow, how can this be? How can this be that after all we've said and all we've done and all the sin we've committed and all the ways that we've pushed back on you and rejected you, that we could be your children? I pray that this morning as we think about those words that we would once again be filled with wonder and awe and appreciation and amazement that we could be children of yours. Father, I pray for anyone who walked in here this morning not believing, having not received, that this morning right now would be that, that moment where they would just the scripture says, confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that you raised him from the dead. That this would be a morning of, of believing, of receiving. Yeah, and I'd encourage you, if that's you right now, to just, to just do that, to just confess to the Father right now, I believe in Christ. I believe in his name. I believe in what he's done for me. And to receive that right now. To receive God's adoption of you as his child to take away your sin. And Father, I pray for those of us who walked in here this morning as believers that as we take this bread and take this cup, we would do it both solemnly knowing what it represents, but also full of joy and wonder at what it is that it has done for us. We praise you that through faith we have become your sons and daughters. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children say.